On this week's episode of the Wealth Collective Podcast, we run through how to time the market, or more importantly, we look at how difficult it is to time the market, and what types of strategies you should have for your investments if you're looking at potentially going down the route of trading pretty frequently. Enjoy! Everything we talk about on today's podcast is general advice only because we don't know your individual personal situation. Before you act on anything we've spoken about, you should chat to your financial advisor, and if you don't have one, feel free to reach out to us. Now, on to today's show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Wealth Collective Podcast. I'm Zach Masters, and today I'm joined by Pete Pennycott from Picada and Anthony Malvazo from AGM Advisory Group. How are we going, gents? Feeling good. Like, right, I'm let loose. So I'm sort of out, <laughs> out of the house. So what did I decide to do today? Work from home. <laughs> so just making the most of my newfound freedom. But the fact that I could leave, that was nice. But yeah, Anthony, you sort of um, been uh, just hiding up in your palatial apartment there? Uh, yeah, it was another lockdown. But um, actually, first time for me back on the podcast this year. So very excited. Feels like we're little, back You couldn't the make last week's podcast due to... A little bit of uh, side effects of this, like Tom Brady's winning the Super Bowl. So. Yeah, it was Tom's seventh Super Bowl, and that sort of uh, then it just led into that. Took the Monday off, basically had to take the Tuesday off, and then uh, it was a pretty busy end of the week with working, and that led into lockdown. So it seems like it's the Super Bowl was six months ago, and it was only two weeks. <laughs> you, where have you been bunkered away? Have you sort of been out? Uh... Yeah, enjoying your two hours. You're looking pretty lean there. So yeah. I don't know about that. This is because you can only see from the neck up on this um, <laughs> Zoom call that we're doing. So. You've, had, you've had a haircut. That's what it is. You are looking lean. I like it. <laughs> no, I've just been down the peninsula, so enjoying a bit of sun out here. So it's um, although I was enjoying being back in the city and back in the office and feeling a bit more normal again. So hopefully um, it's it's just that five days and we're not going to keep going in and out again. Um, fingers crossed. Uh, but we might get on to today's episode. So today's episode is, I know, something that um, you harp on about quite a lot on the podcast, Pete, but we haven't really dedicated a whole episode to it. Um, and then what we're going to talk about is how to time the market or um, if that is possible or should be done. So I guess what we might start off with, and I'll go to you first, Pete, is how important is timing the market? Very. I'd say if you've... If you do have that crystal ball, it's a, an amazing thing. Like, why would you not sort of, um, you know, buy when everything's at its bottom and then just sort of sell out exactly when the market peaks? Um, yeah, works out really well. Uh, the difficulty is it's near, near impossible to actually make that happen. Um, and there's a lot of factors at play of markets forward-looking. It's not necessarily like a linear, this action results in this movement in the market. There's a lot of humans involved, and generally that's the, the worry there. It's not a perfect, efficient machine, which I think is part of the beauty of investing because um, there's a lot of emotion involved. There's people, there's herd mentality. Um, yeah, and I was like, that's why it's really, really difficult. So um, if you can do it, though, you will be rewarded. Um, so no doubt. I think uh, there was a study that was sort of published by Firetrail last year, and this was, I guess, when this reared its head last time as a discussion point was when the market sold off sort of February 20. Uh, not that I'm sort of counting that day, but yeah, back then. Um, had a look at like, had you been over time, you could avoid the worst 10 years over sort of you know, an 18 year period, you're gonna sort of be you know, 
double the, the index, yeah, which is great. So instead of, you know, $1,000 turns into 11, it with the index goes up to 22. Problem is you miss, the, miss 10 days of the good ones and you're down to sort of 6,800. So you sort of halves your return. That's a big, 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 big price to pay if you do get it wrong. So yeah, I'd say for those that do know how to do it, um, give me a call. Definitely send me an email because I'm, I'm intrigued and sort of interested. Because I too want this secret sauce. Um, but realistically, uh, it's probably something that's out of reach for most mortals. Uh, so I don't know about you, whether one of you gentlemen might have the uh, the answer though, uh, which I'm, I've got my pen pen ready, uh, ready to go. Have you got Anthony? What is, how important is time in the market to you? I'd say it's more important than getting the news on Facebook, which uh, you can't <laughs> you do can't. it today. And is this, are we classified as news? Because we're not going to exist on Facebook. Now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can get the news elsewhere. And like, <laughs> uh, if you don't time the market, you're pretty, you're pretty stuffed. And as I'm sure we'll go through the amount of days and the miss and how the difference in return and how much you could lose with just 5, 10, 30 or 50. But the old saying, time in the market rather than timing the market. And it all depends on your objective. If you're more a buy and hold investor or that's your objective, moving in and out of your position will probably hurt you as you probably don't have the, the, the skills or the time to really do a, to do trading. But if, you, if you're in a prospective buy, probably talking to your advisors, whoever gave you the guidance for that particular company or investment will probably be your first point of call and probably just need to really put yourself out there and make the decisions when to do that. That's why most people aren't traders and should stick to investing. And it's not always just on the downside. I think we're sort of naturally, you sort of gravitate to a lot of these like articles get published when things are going really bad and telling people not to panic. You need to sort of think about it on the upside as well. Like, you know, um, when are you picking the top of you know, your investment? I know you've had a, a recent sort of uh, bit of success with a few of your speculative uh, investments, Anthony. So I think it works on the yeah. flip side as well. Like how do you time the market as your exit strategy and not go too soon? Um, it is easier said than done. So do you agree with those sentiments, sir? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think um, it is important that like, obviously if you've got that crystal ball and you can time things perfectly, then of course, then you should be doing that. Um, but yeah, I know Pete, you gave some stats before, but I was just looking as I was doing research for this episode and we're seeing that Fidelity um, did a case study on this between 1980 and 2018. Um, and it was showing that if you missed the five best days um, when you're otherwise fully invested, your overall return for those, uh, you know, 38 years was dropped by 35% just from missing the best five days. So if you're out of the market on those best five days, because I don't know, for some reason or another, you thought otherwise, um, your potential return is 35% less than if you would have just stayed invested over that long term. And then obviously, if you miss the 10 best days, that goes down down further. So um, I think that's quite important to look at too. Oh, as just, the, well, you, uh, should, you should share this, share this chart with people. Uh, so put it on the, the page or something because uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty damning, isn't it? Like sort of $10,000 all day, 708. And then what's this uh, piddly one? You miss the best 50 days. You'd have to be pretty bad at uh, time in the market to do that. <laughs> But it is it that probably happens more. Yeah, yeah. It probably happens more than you think. But how Actually, often no, does it we, we came you... across people that have been sitting out of the market since the GFC yeah. uh, in mm. cash because um, they're just always waiting for it to tomorrow will be the right day tomorrow, and, and unfortunately, tomorrow never comes. 
<laughs> well, how often does it happen too? Sometimes in the market where you have a big sell-off one day and then the next day it goes up. As you're saying, it's not a linear line. Like it's um, the market has volatility. Uh, I'm it, struggling so. with some. Ed- I'm trying to educate some people as well because I'm sort of getting some client feedback of going, "Oh, my portfolio's not done anything over the last three months," but they still had like a significant return over twelve. Hmm. It doesn't. It's not like it's like every month it generates the same return. It's a. Hmm. It's a process. It's a journey, and it's it's long term. You know, you need to be thinking five years or, or more if you're investing in growth assets. Yeah. So if we are looking at a buy and hold strategy, Pete, then how do we know when it is time to sell? Uh, well, if you, I guess you've got to do the analysis. You got to do the work. Um, you got to know like why did I invest? Um, it's going to be really really hard to pick that. And I think you really should be focused internally of going, make decisions about what's happening in your world. So what are you, what were your goals? What were your objectives with this investment? Um, don't stick your head in the sand though. Like I, I hate, I resent the idea that buy, you call it buying and holding, but like staying in the course with your investment strategy mm-hmm. is doing nothing and sitting on your hands until the end of time. Mm-hmm. That's not what it is. I think you've got to take, you know, Taking all the new information, try and take it in from good sources, you know, reputable podcasts like this one, um, reputable blogs like the ones we produce, um, and other good sources that are possibly not available in Australia anymore. Uh, but, yeah, go direct to the site. It's not a Facebook. Um, take that new information and make decisions. Make an informed choice and go, hey, what would I do? Uh, what should I be doing if this was a new investment today? Uh, and that's how you should be looking at it um, and be really really careful of don't make decisions based on emotions and people yelling in the street buy or sell or you know hopping in an uber and they're sort of giving you tips on cryptocurrencies and which one well, the biggest thing now is like Jeez. have you seen twitter at the moment like twitter is nuts with the other that like yeah. the hashtag with the dollar symbol in front of it and the ticker mm. code um it's crazy at the moment like even i don't oh, like i follow a few stuff people but even then my mm. feed is just becoming full and full of People posting about speculative stocks with the, the ticket code to, on it. Might have to see if we can get a hold of uh, the, uh, well, we might list WCP, like, you know, get the uh, Wealth Collective <laughs> podcast, <laughs> get listed so, uh, to the moon. Uh, but yeah, that, that's how I would uh, look at it. Of, like, inv- always assess your investments on their merits. Don't sit on your hands. I think even if it's a market downturn, try and lean into it if you can. If you've got time on your side, you've got a long-term investment horizon, look for opportunity. That's when the money's made, like by, by leaning in and going, hey, people are overreacting to this news. I, I, I feel like I've got a reasonable time frame, even if it drops further, I've got time for this to recover. History shows, and history is a reasonable, it's not a perfect indicator of the future, but it's a reasonable guide. There's more positive years than negative ones. So it pays to be an optimist and stay the, the path uh, majority of the time, but not don't be foolish. Don't stick your head in the sand. But, you know, be informed. I don't know. What, what about you, Anthony? What are you, what are you doing? I'd love to know right now. As you said, I've got this, uh, this uh, certain uh, company that I've been holding for, uh, for a while and it's uh, shot up. And when do you sell? Is it a long-term hold? Is it just something that's on a short run? To be honest, I've got no clue. Um, it's always a tough one. It's obviously keeping in, in up with the news that on the particular company or investment that you're in, speaking with people or advisors who have told you or alluded to, to this, or if you've done your own reading, going back to that well. 
But again, as Pete said, it's back to your objective. If it's a if it's not a, if it's a blue chip stock and it's a certain industry and you can and you got to it's got a bit of a feel and you're getting advice that you know say one sector take just the financial sector for example and that might be in a heading into a direction where there might be a bit of a down downfall and you want to you know you know lower your position or release your position might not be a bad choice but again it's really hard to see that and you want to just make sure you're getting the right advice and you really know what you're doing before you do sell um it's as i said it's always a tough one you might you might need to lie down on the couch stone just uh, sit down unload talk through this with your financial counselor <laughs> in the mirror upstairs <laughs> yeah that's no, uh, it, that. it, what do you, it, how do you approach this one the, the, the last, yeah. last thing i'll say is it is it is it is exciting and when it's flying you're like yeah should i put in more is it, should i sell and then when it's plummeting geez what do i get into this for if it is yeah, on that pretty, second, you are pretty quiet on the group chat when you when your stocks aren't going well so i know you're <laughs> well, up and been about five years. posting us <laughs> i got a lot of we got a lot of screenshots when anthony's speculative stocks are flying on <laughs> It doesn't happen often. So when it does, you're going to sing your praises. But I think this gets back to what we were speaking to late last year. If if it's something where you're looking at a short-term trade or it's something that may have a really big, big jump in a short amount of time, you really want to have a small part of your portfolio position in there. You don't want these company stocks, investments that really move and a lot of lot of volatility and a lot of sh- lot of short term volatility to be a big part of your position because it can go wrong drastically. So if you've got a lot of your position in a you know a good balance and a buy and hold and you play and this is your sort of your play, it's you know it's it's, a, it's not as much of a risk, but you definitely want to make sure that's the small part of your portfolio. Yeah, and even um, like I agree with what you've said, and it all comes back to what your original thesis was for investing in those particular investments but even if you're in like an index style investment like we've heard of um, we've had people come in um, recently that have that sold out in february last year or march last year and still haven't gone back Um, we've had a particular uh, story where someone's like they that, that date that they sold out is emblazoned in their mind and they'll probably never forget it yeah so they thought that that was going to be the best move and they they, just, they said to us, they said, oh, I thought it was going to drop further. So I thought I'll get out now and then I'll get back in once it's lower. Um, that again, coming back to you when, you know, do you have that crystal ball or not? Um, and then the behavioral finance comes into it with the price anchoring of you sold out at particular price. Like if it's not going to get back to there, when do you get back in? Um, yeah, it's it becomes hard. So you need to keep to um, your original investment thesis of why have I invested in this? Have I reached my investment goal? So if then... Like maybe you might look to potentially sell it. If not, then um, yeah, you should be looking at, you know, is it still right? Or like uh, there might be times if you're talking about individual stocks or individual managed funds where you lose confidence in a certain fund manager or a certain management of the company or different things like that, where you need to be re-looking at things. As Pete said, you know, staying the course with this strategy doesn't necessarily mean you just hold everything that you initially bought every asset i think it's, it's staying the course of the strategy you know, underlying investments will change um yeah. yeah asset allocation should be adjusted um you know it's dynamic you need to sort of keep on top of it. it's a process um but the ends your north star you know what your objectives are the sort of philosophy that you apply when anthony mentioned about the position sizing that all helps you stay the course because it means you shouldn't be you know 
getting to points where you're freaking out and making dumb financial decisions and sort of end up costing yourself money. Because if you've got too much in one investment, it's possibly going to lead you to a point of stress. So yeah. don't do it. Um, you know, if you get your asset allocation wrong, it's going to lead you to stress potentially. Don't do it. Um, you invest too much of your money and not keep enough in cash. Again, these are all things that are just sound financial strategy. If you do these, you will sleep better at night when everyone else is freaking out and you go buy. You go shopping when everything else is on discount. Um, and when things are looking ridiculously overvalued or you're uncomfortable going, hey, I've made really, really good money. I'm ahead of my goals. Hey, I might take some money off the table. Uh, and then sort of bank that and sort of, you know, um, put, it, put it to some other part of your strategy. So that's how I would uh, apply that. Yeah, it's a moving feast. Definitely. So if there are people that are, you know, setting up investments or they are the people that are more prone to buying and selling quite a lot or trading quite often, um, what are the risks that they potentially face if, if you're looking at going down that path or um, if you are that way inclined, Pete? Uh, I think it's the main one is opportunity costs. I think what history has shown me from sort of my anecdotal evidence from what I see from clients, um, my feelings of when I've gone through this uh, as a younger investor, um, it's really, really hard to sort of comfortably go, yeah, tomorrow is going to be the day it turns and goes back up. So I'm getting back in. Uh, it's Because generally, I don't know if it's actually this is... Uh, the truth of nature, but people say it's darkest before all the dawn. Uh, I don't know if that can actually be a fact, but it sounds good. <clears throat> and I think it's sort of in investment terms, um, that, that is how it is. It's, you want to be in when things seem darkest because the market is taking in information about where the, where the world's going, the future, not where we've been. Um, it's going, it's forward looking. You're paying for forward earnings of companies. That's why we're always talking about price to earnings multiple or those sort of things it's you're paying up for what the business is going to generate in the future um and you know you look at like even like i remember the first like when trump got in, it was like the market sold off massively and then if you had got out then and gone oh no trump's going to be in don't get in the stay in the market that was your thesis that's bad stay out of the market for his presidency term how much money have you left on the table um or if it was COVID, you go oh COVID, i'm out you know and I sold out towards the bottom of that. Yeah, how much money have you left on the table uh, as a result of that? So I think for me, that's the, the biggest one, that opportunity cost. You can't get the timing right. So I think it's a fool's errand to do that. Like booms have busts. You know, we talk about bubbles, they explode. Um, yeah, well, even GameStop, if you bought in, the, well, depending on where you bought in that GameStop cycle, gosh, you know, there was some money. A lot of people yeah. made like got burnt. Um, but after those busts, sometimes there's booms as well. So, um, but not everything follows that trend. So you need to be diversified. Um, but the risks are you're gonna trading too much just means you're gonna lose money uh, because you're not gonna get the timing right. You're gonna do what like we're humans. We have that behavioral bias. We are lost. Like if we gravitate. We, want to sort of stay away from pain more than pleasure. So that's that sort of loss aversion kicks in. So you're generally going to sort of sit out of the market too long, not get into the right time. And I think some of those stats, some of those graphs that you'll no doubt share, you're going to sort of leave a lot of money on the table, which I, I don't think's 
a good thing. And then if you do that once, that won't stick in your head for the next time the market happens. You go, oh, I might not even invest. Look, this is too hard. Yeah, you know, it frustrated me last time. I'm just not going to do it. And that's even worse. Like then you've got, you're basically leaving money in the bank earning nothing. You know, supporting some bank shareholders, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, a lot of Australian super funds are in there. But realistically, you'd rather have the money in your own pocket, I'd imagine. I don't know about you. What would you like? What do you use? Like, are you sort of more of a public benefactor and leave all your money sitting <laughs> in the ca- the bank and uh, no, definitely. The big but you have like we do hear those stories where people have invested, been burnt. Like you hear about even you know quite a long while ago where people have gone to advisors in the past and been burnt by you know those dodgy advisors back in the day with those investments that have um, lost all their funds. They haven't been diversified and then they get turned off investing altogether and you miss those whole future years of the rest of your life that um, you're, you're missing out by not being allocated towards growth assets. So you, as I said, like um, the investment returns for holding money in the bank is next to nothing at the moment. So you are missing out by doing that. So I think the risks that you get burnt and then you well, turn off investing. It's not bad to have some cash. Yeah. So yeah. Sure you got some cash. <laughs> Make sure you got your cash reserve there. Let's not get a bit overzealous here. I think, uh, just pump and like, get air <laughs> all chips in. No, thank you very much. No, no, I'm talking about putting all your money, um, having all your money sitting cash for the rest rest of your life. So, um, especially at the moment when it's earning less than less than inflation. So that's what I'd look at uh, when you you know you're looking at trading and um, frequently and the risks associated. You're going to have more fees associated with your account often because you're you're trading. So brokerage. Potentially, um, you know, are you holding stocks for less than a year and then you've got capital gains tax, um, discounts that you're missing out on, all these types of things um, that you've got to look at as well. So, also, tell us a bit more about that, Zach, the capital gains discount thing for 12 months, because that's probably, until you've done it the first time and been stung by it, um, people don't really think about it and just go, oh, yeah. I, I, people don't even, fully, I don't even fully grasp the concept they have to pay capital gains tax so sometimes they spend their proceeds yeah and then they get a oh shock horror when they lodge their tax return um yeah been been there done that um so in terms of that might be a sort of incentive for people to hold on a little bit longer as well, well. that's what it is you might yeah. be in month 10 or month 11 yeah, like, do you want to sort of just open that up a little bit? Because I think that's a really important one for uh, some of the, the listeners out there. Yeah, so there's a 12-month rule when it comes to determining how your how much your capital gains tax would be. So if you held the assets um, for at least one year before selling it, you'd be entitled to a 50% discount on capital gains. So that means that only half of your capital gain would be ta- would be taxable. Um, so when you're thinking about, you know, if you made a decent amount on the share, um, or any type of asset. Um, listening, Anthony. Yeah. And you're and you're at that, as you said, you're at that ten month mark, that eleven month mark. Um, potentially, that you know your overall return becomes quite a bit higher if you're going to hold on to it for a bit longer and then have less tax. So you've got to look at the overall return of your portfolios, taxes and fees and all that included. I think, um, which is something we often talk about. You've got to look at everything um, rather than just oh, this share went up x amount, but you know, you might have sold it in within the 12 month period and you've paid more capital gains tax on it and so on. So those are definitely things that you've got to be looking at as well. Yeah. And I think the hidden one, which um, in there is the brokerage, but it's also buy sell spreads. And there's a whole host of sort of transaction costs that might not be apparent 
unless you read the fine print. So yeah, make sure you sort of, you know what's happening. But uh, well, yeah, what are you saying as some of these risks uh, for people that are frequent traders? Just before I get onto that, I uh, about your client who has a date burned on his brain. I've still got 15th of March 2009 because that's the date I was absolutely capped out with margin lending. I remember Macquarie went from 17, uh, went to 17 from like 23 in like a, the opening 20 minutes, and I was capped out after like <laughs> like uh, cash yeah, advancing and to keep out of bubba. And it, it went back, it went down to 15, and then it went, it flew up to like 30 in the next two days. So uh, that were they were crazy times, but I do have that date burned in my memory. It didn't de- de- deter me from investing, but it's funny. It just I just thought of that thing. But I think <laughs> so, that's the thing of going. Those battle scars that you get over years of investing, they're all lessons. They all help you become a better investor. So don't shy away from getting a few bumps and bruises and scratches. Um, that was the car Just, accident. you know, learn from it. Don't, don't let it be a, like a fatal, you know, something fatal, like, you know, that kills your investment um, strategy. You know, you can take flesh wounds. You can take body blows. What you want to make sure is your portfolio can survive yeah, you know, uh, reasonably severe market downturns, similar to what what we experienced in two thousand twenty or twenty twenty. Yeah. But I'd say, isn't the old saying "buying high and selling low"? No, that's oh, what I'm actually sorry. happens with a lot of people who try and trade. <laughs> they buy high <laughs> and they sell low. It should be the opposite where it's uh, buying low and selling high, but people get emotional and they get excited and the stock. And I just checked that that one went up another 37% today. So, <laughs> uh, so it is flying, but when the ju- people jump off when it plummets and um, I've got a friend and he's uh, just saying, should, should I buy more? Should I buy more? And it's like people get really excited and get emotional. Um, it's, how many there's probably you know what one percent of the population do this okay and um, a te, you know less than that do do it great so it's very hard but all the risks of everything you've mentioned cgt cost but probably the biggest risk is just getting it wrong and if as you mentioned it initially if you get out for the five best days it's it's catastrophic and forget it if it's out for 50 so you, you're um you've you've really uh, screwed yourself that is, that's yeah. a good point. That is, that goes back to the behavioral finance of people mm. want to buy into the market as it's going up and as it's up and they see green um, when realistically, potentially you should be looking at the other end of when it's going down, that might be the best time for you to get in. So when you're trying to time it, you have to then overcome your own behavioral tendencies, even though you might yeah. feel like you don't have them. It's inherent think, in most people. Oh, it's wrong. Yeah, I think we're built that way. Like our brains are sort of hardwired deep down, um, yeah. sort of our limbic system. Um, so the way to overcome some of that and manage it is have a strategy, be researched, like have a system that you sort of can cling to and go, oh no, like when things seem really, really rocky and really shaky and really dark, go back to that and say, this is my thesis. Like it's hopefully it's written down somewhere, you know, like get a Google sheet open or a Word doc and save it so you can refer back to it and go, oh, okay, does this still hold true? Um, in all reasonable circumstances, the way I see this playing out, that will give you some confidence to sort of stay the course. Um, because if you've got no reason that you bought it and it was just on a whim, you're more likely to make uh, fundamentally poor decisions because you've, you've got no basis for 
<laughs> not making poor decisions because yeah. um, you're not sure why you did it initially. It was just like, oh, um, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. And sometimes you'll be lucky. Like a lot of this, I think we've got to pay homage to the fact that luck does have an, an impact on your portfolio. So depending on when you've got, got your first job and started investing for the first time, that will be a big indicator about how your, you know, your sort of investment returns look. And that's just a fact. Like, if, unfortunately, if you sort of said, I'm starting my investment journey the year before GFC hits, well, you've probably got a really dark view of it, but you're probably better for it had you stayed the course because you had the least amount of money invested when it dropped. And then you sort of learnt those lessons and then dollar cost average as the market went through. Yeah, several, like, yeah, several years of just growth after growth. That's after what growth. Um, Morgan Housel, who's the, uh, he's a behavioral finance expert on Twitter the other week. Um, when everything was going crazy, he said, don't confuse luck with skill. Um, when everyone was cutting in with the GameStop things and yeah. all that and type a, of stuff. He said yeah. that could be that's your biggest like mistake. Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's getting and back to that confusing luck that you've, you've got in at the right time and something's happened and you've been lucky enough to get in. Um, but it might, you know, um, people then get that, that ego side, as you said, Pete, and start to go, oh, I can do this. This is easy. Yeah, everyone um, thinks they're Warren Buffett. Um, yeah. And yeah, we're, we're not most of us. So, But I think with discipline, with a strategy, with research, you can, I think you can beat the market. Um, but, you know, I don't think you can do it by timing the market and going in and out and trading free. That's not, well, that's not what I'm good at. There's probably people that can do it. Good luck to them. Uh, but that's not, not for me. Um, so, yeah, that's, well, some good, good, some gems there. What else? Uh, what do you think? So, uh, if you want to know about this stuff, Zach. If someone wants to get kitted out, resourced, you know, knowledgeable, uh, and they don't want to sort of spend time yakking to us because we go on too long, <laughs> uh, what other options outside of the Wealth Collective podcast are there for people that want to learn about investing um, and just sort of, well, let's talk about share market in general, something like that. Yeah, we always harp on about money smart and things like that. There's, um, you know, close to... something new, Zach. Come um, on. Yeah, well, uh, like the big one around here, like for shares and things like that, Motley Fool, a lot of people listen to their podcasts and different things like that. The, I know a lot of the major banks have a have good share, like individual share ones where they um, potentially a little bit different to us here where we try and focus more on the strategy side of things. They'll talk about specific stocks and then they'll look at... Um, potentially giving buy or hold or sell recommendations on each of those. So that's a good way to learn and see what are they looking for in a company? What are they seeing on the balance sheet? What are they um, potentially looking for in the management that's making them go, yeah, I, I would buy this stock, I would sell this stock. So that can be a good way that I would um, potentially go about it. But I know, Anthony, you wanted this question in here. So did you have something specific in mind? Oh, I just thought it might be if you guys had any ideas. I mean, in the past, I've read anything around with that uh, Peter Thornhill or Roger Montgomery has okay. pretty uh, astute investors and uh, got some good books. The ones on uh, fixed value company, look at value companies, and the others more of the behavioural finance sort of uh, sort of bloke. Uh, I don't know on the industry, but not exactly uh, trading. A good documentary is Inside Job. That's like a real version of the Big Short. That's more to see what crooks are in the in Wall Street. So <laughs> that's something to see the, the at a at a macro level, and it's it's really tip top. If anyone hasn't seen, it. you can get it on Google for about three ninety five rented and Matt Damon narrated. It's basically take through the whole G GFC. So that's probably a bit off what we said, but it's definitely you see it from from every step every step of the uh of the finance game. 
Definitely. Is there any gems you listen what to about? or look at, Pete? Or uh, oh, there's a long list. I think a lot of them we've, been, we've mentioned before. I think, hmm. well, depending on where people are at in their journey, um, I think like get a general like overall wealth strategy going. And I think a lot, a lot of people like the, the Barefoot Investor, are sort of I sort of gravitate more towards like Noel Whitaker's uh, "Making Money Made Simple." There's a good good foundations to just get you sort of get set up right. But otherwise, like First Links, which is a, a website that sort of aggregates a lot of, you know, sort of put a, be prepared for what you're reading. So it's a lot of fund managers talking, talking their book. So they're all pumping up whatever they're thinking at the moment. Um, so you're going to read through that. But I think there's a, there's so, it's such a melting pot for different ideas there. If you can sort of link to, um, I don't know, types of investors and styles that you like, you might get some real gems in there because they will talk about individual stocks as well as their strategies and how they're seeing the macro environment. Um, the other one, sort of live wire markets as well. They've got a lot of, well, the big uh, fund managers, again, will get on there and sort of talk their book and talk shop and what they're thinking about markets. So just make sure you're going in with your eyes wide open with the lens that there's a vested interest that, They've already got their position set and now they're talking about them. So it's not necessarily just giving it all away um, yep. as a sort of a charity. Yeah, very good. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for the topic, but we've got a listener question that's come in from Bryce this week. So we'll go to this question now. Hey guys, I just had a question in regards to um, what I should be doing with my investments at the moment. It was around whether I should be putting money um, into my own stocks and doing my own research or whether you think it's still a good idea to salary sacrifice into super given that super um, investments are obviously down on the last 24 months. Well, thanks very much uh, for sending that question in, Bryce. So we're always um, loving people sending in their audio clips. Um, we're well, you're really putting the audio to the top. So it's like if you yeah. send in an email now, you're not getting on. Is that, no, is we that need audio. Is we want audio. audio. <laughs> So I guess that, as we always say, um, it depends. Um, so we're looking at um, the potential age-old question of, do you put money into super or do you invest in your own name? There's a lot of things that we have to look at without knowing um, Bryce's situation there. Um, my main point for this one is always to look at um, what are your goals for those funds? So um, the big one when we look at super is when are you going to need to access those funds? So is that is that something that's going to be put away for the your retirement savings? Is it something you're going to need to access in five or 10 years? And in five to 10 years, are you going to be able to access those funds if you have invested in super? Um, is there something different you'd look at, Anthony? I think it all depends on the age, as you said, but there's no harm in always having adding a little extra super unless there's, you know, uh, ultimate needs uh, for the for the additional cash flow. But even another percent or two or three at such an early age won't make that much a difference to your budget. Uh, you can just cut out a couple of coffees or the smokes or the drinks and you'll still be <laughs> able to cover it. Um, but the important thing is it sounded like it was um, super as a trust and the investments held inside and they're, there for a long period of time so you're still going to need to continue con contributing so i think it's just important uh, to understand what your goals are and how far away you are to until uh, uh, you actually need to access it but i think you know always salary sacrificing is important 
from such an early age. I mean, Paul Keating, the architect, always opted for 15% from years back. So uh, the old 9.5% isn't close to that. So I think uh, just to continue, maybe if you're doing too much and you want to put money elsewhere, just make sure we're probably putting in a little bit more than this, the minimum. What about you, Pete? How would you look at this question? I don't know why this has got me thinking of that uh, old El Paso uh, stand standoff, yeah. sort of the hard shell or soft shell sort of. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to talking. pronounce the, the words. Why can't we have both? <laughs> yeah, why can't we have both? So, um, so I think it, like, you could do both. And I think there might be a bit of confusion here for Bryce of thinking of super as a different types of investments to what you can have personally. You can do the same investments within super versus in your personal name as well. So you can go and just a structure. It's just a structure, tax structure. It's a trust structure. Um, you can go do that in your personal name. You can buy ASX listed shares in some in industry funds, even uh, super wraps. You can do that personally. So let's not get confused there. So think about, I think everything you mentioned, uh, gentlemen, the timeframes, uh, understanding goals, important. Uh, I'd encourage Bryce to give it a bit of a crack uh, by giving it a go to have some involvement in his investment making decisions. So, um, you know, engage a professional, engage, do some research uh, if you can, if it makes sense, because, you know, there's a cost-benefit analysis that you need to be doing. And maybe just make sure that most of your money is in something highly diversified and, you know, outsource that to a professional manager. But I think there's something to be said about, you know, sinking your teeth in, having some investments that you've selected yourself so you can own that decision and sort of be, you know, a little bit more aligned with your portfolio and buy into it more. Um, even if you're not doing it completely by yourself and just going, you're coming up with ideas and sort of participating in the construction by giving your investment preferences. Because, you know, if you go into a financial advisor or a stockbroker, you're often going to be answering questions about what your investment preferences, what types of companies don't you want to support, what are you interested in. Um, that's really important as well. So maybe do a little bit of that. Uh, but ultimately, um, yeah, the main thing is sort of get the, get the structure right. And stay the course is the message from today's episode. So don't don't panic. So don't just sort of be jumping into whatever the latest fad is. Mm. Um, no, very good, very good. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for today's episode. So as we said before, um, we'd love as many audio questions as you have. So I'm going to put a link in the description of the podcast um, where you can send an audio clip in, or else um, send it through on Facebook. Uh, Instagram, so at Picada on Instagram or um, just email us at connectedpicada.com.au. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thanks, gents. See you all next week. See you.